Good morning, Crosspoint. I'm Jessica Wolf. Um, my husband and I and our family are new here, just a couple of months, and we're so grateful to be here. We're looking forward to getting to know all of you in the days ahead. Our scripture reading for today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Let's hear God's word. Paul, called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, and Sosthenes, our brother, to the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints with those in every place who call on the name of our Lord Jesus, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of the grace God because of the grace given to you in Christ Jesus, that you were enriched in him in every way, in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end, so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jess. Well, good morning. Thank you for uh, gathering together this morning here in the living room. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the pastors. If you have a Bible, uh, open it up to that passage. Uh, open it up to 1 Corinthians. You're going to hear that a lot in the coming uh, weeks and months as we work our way through this letter of 1 Corinthians. A, a, a thank you to those who served and who participated in Heartline Heart House's fundraiser a week and a half ago. They hosted it here. This is the second year, I believe, they've hosted it. That's a local ministry that we support as a, uh, as a organization. We support them as a uh, local shelter to women and children, as well as a benevolence, a way to love and serve the community. And so we are grateful for their, uh, their willingness to and their uh, partnership to use our space. And thank you to those who partnered with them. Uh, compared to last year, they raised more dollars, which was a, a huge blessing. And so if you don't know about their ministry, I encourage you to check that out, Heartline, Heart House, uh, on, uh, online. Today we begin a new, new series called Grounded and Growing. We're going to work our way through 1 Corinthians over 30-ish Sundays. We'll take a, a few Sundays off here and there. But this is a book that we've not taught through before, and I'm looking forward to this journey. If you're newer to Crosspoint, our typical the majority of our preaching diet, if you will, would be working through books of the Bible. One of our hopes is that helps us grow in the knowledge of who Jesus is and who the Lord is so that we might worship Him, so that our devotion to Him might grow. Recently, I, I asked the staff, if you had one prayer for Crosspoint and its people in the year ahead, what would it be? I loved their answers. I loved to hear their heart for this local faith family, for this community, for you all and their, their desire to see the Lord at work in and through us. I encourage you to ask them what their answers were to that question. But my answer to the question of what's your, what's your hope for the year ahead for this local church, my answer was the title of this series, Grounded and Growing. That's my prayer for our church in the year ahead that we'd be grounded in the truth of the word and in the truth of the gospel, and we'd grow up into the Lord who is the head, 
that we'd all individually and collectively keep maturing up into Christ's likeness. One place that our family has enjoyed visiting through the years is Colorado. One reason besides the low humidity, the snow-capped mountains, the waterfalls, the picturesque lakes, besides those. One of the reasons is because the aspen trees. I chose a grove of aspen trees as the background to the series. Here's a picture of, of one we took uh, last, uh, last fall when we, when we visited there. My wife calls it leaf peeping. Raise your hand, be honest, raise your hand if you've heard of leaf peeping before. See, I knew I was right. <laughs> the artsy types must like leaf peeping. I just like to look at the colors. But aspens are all over Colorado. They grow in large bunches. They're often derived from a single seedling and aspen trees spread. The new trees that grow may shoot up from this root system 100 feet or more from that first seedling. What holds the aspens together is hidden. It's underground. It's the root system that holds it all together from that one single seedling where the grove began, grounded and growing. My prayer for the next year and the years ahead is that this local family of believers and those yet to be reached, that we'd be grounded in the gospel and growing in the Lord, that we'd be reminded that what ties us together is nothing above the surface. Absolutely nothing above the surface. It's all underground. It's all in the root system. It's in the unchanging gospel of first importance. That we'd see new people come to faith in Christ, new trees of righteousness, if you will, shooting up all over the place and yet tied back to not a human, but to Jesus Christ, the head, the vine, the shepherd, the rock, our cornerstone. That like this picture of, of bright aspen colors alongside that mountain, that our words and our way of life would be bright in this world, bright and brilliant for the glory of God alone, bright and brilliant in the fullness of His grace and truth, bright and brilliant with the good news of Jesus in our places of work, our places of school, our home, our family trees, our friend circles. If I were to sum up what the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian church in this letter, it is, it is to be grounded in the gospel and growing up into Jesus. That's his encouragement to this church. And so I believe it's going to be a timely letter for us to look at. I love how a lot of our community groups are studying this book as well. If you're not connected to a group yet, let me know. Talk to a leader directly. You can check that out on our website, but take that next step. If you're not on a specific Bible reading plan, I'd encourage you to look at 1 Corinthians. Take a chapter a day. There's 16 chapters. It takes you over a course of a month. You'll work through it a couple times. But to be dwelling in the Word richly as, as a people. Today we're looking at chapter 1, the first nine verses. First, some context into this letter. Corinth was a city in Greece. It had two major harbors and it sat at a crossroads of two of major trade routes. Acts 18 tells the story of the Corinthian church being planted. It was planted by the Apostle Paul, who was once a persecutor of Christians, approving of their mistreatment and death, hoping to end the mission and movement of Jesus. But then the resurrected Lord Jesus dramatically met Paul along the road to Damascus in Acts 9, saving him radically transforming his life. If you don't know that story, read Acts 9 this week as we begin this journey. 
But after Paul began, and trust, began to trust and follow Jesus, it led him on a mission as a church planter all over the region, including a trip here in Corinth where he stayed for 18 months. And during this 18 month there, Acts 18 tells us that he taught them the word of God as this new church was beginning and launching. He visited them around 50 AD and he's writing this letter back to them three to five years later. The reason for his writing to them is he's heard unsettling and discouraging reports about the church, about how they're believing, how they're living. Because Corinth sat on these major harbors, it was a major city. Its population was wealthy, growing, diverse. The people who called it home often lacked any sort of roots to that specific area. But it moved there because it was a center for trade, it was a center for business, and had all the opportunity in the world to advance and climb the social ladder. It was a city of intellect and prosperity. It was also a city that had a reputation for the reckless pursuit of earthly pleasure. For instance, a prominent feature in the city's temple was the city's temple devoted to the worship of Aphrodite, the false Greek god of sexual love and fertility. If you wanted to live for the moment, you went to Corinth. Sexual immorality and drunkenness was rampant in the city. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. You could say the city was all about the individual and thus led the people to this perpetual chasing of their identity in earthly things. Whether that was trying to make a name for yourself in business, bowing down to the worship of Aphrodite, growing in earthly wisdom and knowledge, or gaining as much wealth as possible, the city of Corinth was about the individual, self-authority, self-made, self-reliant. And into that context, Paul, empowered by the Spirit, preaches the gospel, and people repent and believe in Jesus, and a new, for, a new church is formed by the grace and power of God. But now he's getting reports that the church has started to look more like the city of Corinth than of Christ. They've started to pick up patterns of the city rather than pursuing the patterns of Jesus and the new life they have in him. So while this, this letter has plenty of correction, Paul doesn't begin there. He begins with what I'd call Christ-centered encouragement. You will notice, maybe you already did as Jess read the passage, how often Jesus Christ is mentioned. Ten times in the first nine verses. How central he is to the encouragement that Paul wants to begin this letter with. In a sense, to a church that is starting to look at themselves or look at the city and, and follow the patterns of this world, he's saying, no, 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 look at Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus Christ. He is who we are seeking to become like. Verse 1, Paul called as an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will and Sosthenes, our brother. Called as an apostle, Paul was commissioned by Jesus Christ himself to be an apostle, to join with the other original apostles like Peter and John and to become the foundation of the New Testament church that was launching and growing. Apostle means one who is sent out one who speaks on behalf of the Lord, represents the Lord's truth and voice to the people. Paul was sent out by Jesus, and because of that commissioning, that calling, Paul spoke and wrote as one with authority. Authority that he didn't create on his own, but was given to him by the Lord Jesus. It, was, it led to both this great humility in Paul and a great confidence in Paul. 
because the Lord was doing the work and it was His power and His truth. So we can assume here that some in the church who would receive this letter were questioning His authority. So Paul wants to remind them as they, as they begin reading this letter aloud in the congregation that these words are not Paul-inspired, they're Spirit-inspired. Paul didn't choose apostleship for himself. It wasn't a self-appointment. But the Lord Jesus chose him for this purpose to bring the gospel and its goodness to the people. Sosthenes would have been the scribe or the one that Paul was dictating the letter to and he is writing it down. Verse 2, we find out who Paul is writing to. To the church of God at Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called the saints, with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Notice the plural nature in which Paul addresses the church. He's pushing up against the individualism that this pagan city is marked by that is causing division and disruption that we'll see in the coming weeks. He wants them to see how they are part of a collective body and family. He says, to the church of God at Corinth, meaning brothers and sisters in Corinth, you belong to the Lord. You're a part of His church, His people. Paul's, Paul's drawing distinction here, saying, listen, you're not just some social club in the community. Uh, you're not a book club. You're not just a group that does some good things. You, you don't, you're not just a group that gets together every week or so. You're the church of God at Corinth. You're the church of God at Crosspoint. See, this is a supernatural gathering. It's a supernatural gathering. This is a spirit-empowered people. This is a local faith family that is on a supernatural mission this side of heaven. And on that side of heaven will enjoy unhindered fellowship with the Lord and with one another for all eternity. And then Paul describes the church in this way, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called as saints, sanctified in Christ Jesus, meaning this church has been set apart for God's purposes, to worship, enjoy, serve the Lord, His purposes, His mission, His glory, set apart to be a great commandment and a great commission people. Over the past couple weeks, my wife and I, we've been going through my parents' basement and finding random things, okay? One of that is this silverware, okay? Silver, silverware, all right? We didn't use this growing up. Like, this didn't get used to butter the bread. Did anybody else do this? Like, you want some buttered bread? It's like part of the meal. It was like a, the cheapest way to provide calories to the people around the table, well, dad wasn't breaking out one of these silver, silver knives to butter the bread. This was distinct. It was set apart, maybe for Thanksgiving. I really don't know, but I, all I know, it was not the, uh, the everyday silverware that, uh, that Dave ate with, ate his cereal or ice cream with. In the same way, those in Christ Jesus are sanctified. Holy, thanks to the work of Jesus on the cross, growing in holiness thanks to the grace of God and the power of the Spirit. Brothers and sisters, Ephesians 2 tells us that we are His workmanship by His grace and faith alone, unique, distinct, sent into the world to reflect Him, represent Him in the same way that Israel in the Old Testament was set free from Egyptian slavery so that they might experience freedom in Christ and worship the Lord alone. In the same way, we have been set free not in order to return to the slavery of sin. 
but so that we might enjoy the Lord, enjoy the freedom that we have in Him. Some of you are tempted right now to return to Egypt and go make mud bricks in the slop, thinking that's going to bring you joy. Don't turn back. Freedom in Christ is where life is found, even if that feels normal, even if that feels what you're used to. It's slavery. It's slavery, loved ones. Walk toward freedom. This is what we've been set apart for, called as saints, Paul says. That seems ironic, doesn't it? It will seem that much more ironic as we work through this letter because the Corinthians church's way of life often blended in with the pagan culture. Their patterns, their way of life were not much different in the world. In a sense, their actions look more like they belong to the world than to Christ. And so Paul, right from the beginning, is saying, you belong to the Lord. You're set apart for the Lord. Your identity is now as a saint of the Lord. Paul used that designation in several of his letters, 2 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Sainthood is not Roman Catholic Hall of Fame thinking. Sainthood doesn't mean an elevated status of extraordinary people. Saints in Christ Jesus is simply another way to refer to believers and followers of Jesus. And it reminds us of our new identity in Him. Stephen Um wrote this, The Christian's identity is not self-made or self-maintained. It is the result of an outward action of God on our behalf. We are sanctified not in ourselves, but in Christ Jesus. We are called to be saints, not because we are inherently saint, saintly, but simply because we call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. In a city that was all about the individual and chasing your identity in earthly things such as success, wealth, sexual pleasure, the praise of others, in a city of self-help, self-realization, self-definition, Stephen Um writes this, the gospel says, stop striving. Stop striving to build an identity. You've been given one free of charge because of the striving of another in your place. You no longer have to live in order to build an identity, but you can live into the identity that has been given to you by grace alone. Paul's saying, remember who the Lord is. Remember your identity in Him. Second half of verse 2. We will go faster as we go along, I promise. With all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both their Lord and ours. Now Paul wants to lift their eyes not just to see one another in the local church, but lifting their eyes to see the big C church, the church at Ephesus, the Thessalonian church, the church at Philippi. You're with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, confronting the individualism that the people were prone to. They can take root not just in the individual, but in the collection of the people, the collective nature of the church. We see this all the time nowadays, where the church is more committed to the brand than to Jesus Christ. May that not be said of us. May that not be said of me or you. So he's saying, look, Corinthian church, remember the Lord. It's about, it, it isn't about you. It's about Him and His grace and gospel, His kingdom. You're alongside co-laborers in the gospel. You're partners, not competitors. See the global church of what the Lord is doing in this world. See, when you're reminded of of the big C church, you get less obsessed with your own problems and building your, your so-called small K kingdoms. 
Crosspoint, we're with all those in every place who call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both their Lord and ours. We're with those who are centered on the gospel. We're with those who are dependent on the Spirit. We're with those who are anchored to the timeless and true Word of God. We're with them in church planting. We're with them in mission sending. We're with them in making disciples. We're with them in how we're seeking to glorify the Lord in how we love one another and pursue the unity that Jesus prayed for us in John 17. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace were common in Paul's greetings to churches. They're central words to the gospel. Grace being the cause of our salvation, a reminder of how good the Lord has been to us, continues to be to us. Grace, God's free gift to us, displayed in Jesus. It's by His grace that we're able to enjoy peace, not only with the Lord, but with one another. Grace and peace both find their origin in the, in the Lord. One flows to the other. Then in verses 4 through 9, then, Paul continues his Christ-centered encouragement, expressing thanksgiving for this church, its people, and ultimately the grace of God that is evidenced in their church. Grace, the, the grace of God that is evidenced in their past, their present, and their future. You could say that one question that Paul is asking to them, implying in this section, is what do you have that you did not receive? Corinthian church, what do you have that you did not receive by the grace of the Lord? He's giving Christ-centered encouragement, not Corinthian-centered, the powers within you, self-help, you can do this, you got this type of encouragement that is momentary at best. But rather he's saying, look at Jesus. Remember his grace. Remember who dwells inside of you. Remember your identity. Live into that identity. What you have and who you are in him is by grace that you have received Verses 4 through 6, I always thank my God for you because the grace of God given to you in Christ Jesus that you are enriched in Him in every way in all speech and all knowledge. In this way, the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. He's recalling back to his year and a half in Corinth and how as he shared the gospel with them, taught of the birth, life, death, and resurrection and how Jesus is one day returning and all those who put their faith and trust in Him, they will not perish but have everlasting life. And as he shared the gospel with them, their lives were changed. Salvation, new life were given. He remembers how they turned from worshiping themselves or the things of the city and turned toward the worship of the Lord Jesus. In this little thanksgiving, Paul is looking backward, present day, and then future and saying in all of this, remember the grace of God. And in these verses, Paul is looking back. I remember how you responded to the grace of God, how you were enriched in Him, found life in Him. Paul wrote this in the second letter to, to the Corinthians, chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though He was rich, for your sake He became poor, so that by His poverty you might become rich. Rich not in earthly ways, but rich in eternal means, an inheritance that doesn't fade, doesn't diminish, doesn't decrease. Paul saw the Corinthian people come alive in Christ. They were spiritually poor, but thanks to the grace of God, now they're spiritually alive, they're rich. And Paul saw that evidence of grace through the people's speech and their knowledge. 
their outward actions, their words, as well as how they were believing. These were outward evidences that inward salvation had come to them. How they spoke was different. How they believed was different. One of the most beautiful things to see is someone coming to faith in Jesus and the outworkings of that inward trust and belief. And Paul's recalling how he saw that transformation in their lives. I too can recall how the Lord has transformed my life, my wife's life, my children, their spouses, many of your lives. There's probably brothers and sisters that come to your mind as well that you think, I've seen the Lord, evidences of His grace and power at work in their life. I pray in the year ahead, we might get a watchfulness and awareness to that and then be quick to give Christ-centered encouragement saying, I see the Spirit of God at work in your life. Here's how I see that. We might verbalize that. It would lead us to praise the one who's doing the work. Paul looks backward now in verse 7, the first half. He thanks God for how he sees the grace of God presently in their life. He says, so that you do not lack any spiritual gift. Corinthian church, in your present day way of life, you don't lack anything. You don't lack any spiritual gift, cross point. As a believer in Christ, you lack nothing, brothers and sisters. We serve and worship a God who is never in want, never at a deficit, never running low. And as His children, because He lives in us, through us, spiritually spiritually speaking, we are never lacking. The Lord is always enough. Even in earthly hardship, even in death itself, we sang about that. The Lord has His people secure. And even as we live on mission in our present day, He's empowering us with gifts and abilities to fulfill that mission. Past, present, and then the second half of verse 7, he, he moves their eyes forward to the future so that you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will also strengthen you to the end so that you will be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Eagerly wait. I love that phrase that Paul uses. He uses it twice in Romans 8, once in Galatians 5. We eagerly wait by faith and with hope. We eagerly wait for the redemption of our bodies. We eagerly wait for the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ and His second coming in our eternity with Him where all things, including our bodies, including the brokenness of this world, will be made new. Loved ones, we do not wait in defeat. We do not eagerly wait in despair or doubt or anger or grieving. No, loved ones, we wait in expectation, in rock-solid resurrection. He beat death. We're with Him. Hope. For He's coming again. And if He lingers and He doesn't return in our lifetime, we still win the prize of eternity with Him in His presence and alongside His people. And in the waiting, He's doing what? Verse 8 tells us, strengthening us and sanctifying us. To the end, meaning completely, all the way. So in the end, when we see Jesus face to face, we will bow in joyful worship for He is the one who by grace alone has justified us, made us right with the Father. He is the one who, according to Colossians 1.22, has reconciled you by His physical body 
through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. And maybe you're thinking, well, how can I know that? How can I know that that's going to be the case? How, how, how do I know that he's going to hold us fast? How do I know that he's going to hold me firm even when I'm, I'm waffling? How can I know that it's through faith and, and by grace alone and not by my works? And how can I know I'm going to be seen as blameless on the day of Christ Jesus? I'm glad you asked. Paul answers it for us. God is faithful. You were called by him into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The character of God is the solid basis of the Corinthians' certain hope and ours. What the Lord has promised he will do, he is faithful to follow through. The Lord Jesus is not moody. He's not fickle. Cloudy day, sunny day, it doesn't matter to him because he's beyond time and space. He's steadfast, unchanging, altogether good, and thanks to his faithfulness, believers have been called by him into fellowship, into relationship with him, the eternal one, and yet the near one, the one who took on flesh to dwell among us to seek and save. God is faithful. That truth is central to Christ-centered encouragement. And through the birth, life, death, and resurrection, the ascension, the one day returning of Jesus Christ, we see God's faithfulness on beautiful display. Brothers and sisters, may we be active in encouraging one another. May Jesus and the gospel be central to it. May our encouragement not turn one another's eyes toward ourselves, toward a self-reliant, self-dependent spirit, but lift our eyes to the faithful one. For he is able, he is good, he is for his people who call on him as Lord. Loved ones, our status as sanctified and saints is not based upon our work, but the faithful work of Jesus Christ. Our identity is sure because it's in Jesus Christ. Our gifts are sufficient because they were given to us by the source and supplier of the gifts. They were not earned by us and thus potentially lost, but given as gifts by Him. And our future is secure because it was prepared for us by the one who holds the future in His hands and is beyond time and space, who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha, the Omega, who's created us for good works, which He has prepared in advance for us to do. God, You are faithful. You are faithful. And we are so grateful. We praise You for Your faithfulness, Lord Jesus, for Your grace and Your goodness. We praise You for Your power and strength. You have been faithful in our past, You are faithful in our present, and you will be faithful in our future. We declare that with our lips, and we declare that this week with our lives. And where we might be prone to doubt, may you increase our faith and help us in our unbelief. Thank you for calling us saints. Thank you for this local faith family that you've planted, that you're growing here. Thank you for our fellow brothers and sisters in the Big C Church all those in every place who call on the name of you, Jesus, as Lord. May your grace and peace abound in our lives in the life of your church. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Paul writes this in Romans 8. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God 
who were called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. And that will be a sweet, sweet, sweet day, will it not? It will be a joy to be alongside you. And it, it's a joy to be alongside you now as we, as we eagerly wait. And as we are eager on mission, as we are eager to love one another and pursue a life of good works and showing and telling of the gospel. I encourage you to give Christ an encouragement to one another, whether it's in the gathering or this week, and use the opportunity before you for the Lord's purposes. I love you, church. I'm grateful to be alongside you and meet somebody new before you leave. God bless.